Well, the movie, The Big Year, is an adventure film that follows the fictional lives of three competitive ornithologists, or bird watchers. Uh, Owen Wilson, Steve Martin, and Jack Black all travel around the country to photograph the rarest of rare birds, hoping to win the prize for the most bird sightings in a single year. Meanwhile, their private lives spiral out of control as their families struggle to accept their bird-watching obsession. The magic of bird-watching does its slow work on them, though, as they encounter the beauty of creation through their binoculars. They learn to stop striving and instead learn friendship, peace, trust. And in this scene that we just watched, Jack Black is able to give his dying father some perspective on life while showing him some of the many birds of the air that he's seen over the course of his travels. The movie actually reminds me of a book that I know of. Uh, The book is written by British theologian John Stott. The book is called The Birds Are Teachers, Lessons in Ornithology. In addition to being one of the greatest theologians of the 20th century, Stott was a devoted bird watcher. He learned much about God and life and faith through his countless hours in British forests and countrysides. As he writes in the introduction, from ravens, he learned faith. From pigeons, he learned gratitude. From eagles, he learned freedom. From storks, he learned repentance. Don't know how, but from storks, he learned repentance. From larks, he learned joy. We have much to learn from birds. John Stott knew this. Heck, Jack Black knew this. And of course, you know who else does? That would be Jesus. In one of the loftier passages in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us that if we really want to follow him, if you really want to get to know God, we need to head out of the woods, grab our binoculars, take a minute, and look at the birds. We've been studying the Sermon on the Mount here at Rooftop, as you know, in our ongoing series called Religion Redefined. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' big manifesto. It's included in the Gospel of Matthew. And in the sermon, Jesus describes some of the radical demands that God has for his people. Uh, Last week, Jeremy talked about what Jesus has to say uh, about how Christians, true Christians, uh, should regard and spend their money. As Jesus says, we shouldn't invest our money in things that don't last. We should use our money to invest in eternal kingdom building. What if you don't have any money, though? What if you're poor and broke and you're not even sure if you can feed your family? What would you do then? Well, the next passage that we get to, Jesus tells you, you should look at the birds. Uh, The passage uh, is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Let me go ahead and read it to you, and then we will talk about it. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. 
If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, obviously, this passage is not about birds. <laughs> it's about worry and anxiety. Jesus understands that most of us, most of us do not have bird problems. <laughs> we have worry problems. And we know that this passage is about worry, not birds, because the word worry occurs six times, and the command, do not worry, is found three times throughout the passage in verses 25, 31, 34. The Greek word that Matthew uses here is merimanao, which means to have excessive concern, to have uh, debilitating anxiety over something. And Jesus is clear in verse 25 about what we need to not be anxious for, our lives, what we'll eat or drink, or in our body, what we will wear. Honestly, Jesus does not seem so concerned with people who have the sort of anxieties we have, you know, whether we will be able to get tickets to the Taylor Swift concert or whether our Amazon package will get here in time. No, Jesus is speaking far more basically. Do not worry about your life, your body. These were the concerns of Jesus' audience. He was speaking to the poor rural folk of Galilee, people who could barely scrape two shekels together. If you think about it, that makes his instruction here all the more radical. He's not telling them to worry about whether or not the blues can turn their season around. I mean, that'd be easy to say. Don't worry about those kinds of things because they just don't matter. But in this case, he, the command's a little harder. Jesus is telling poor people that they don't need to worry about whether or not they're going to be able to wear clothes or eat food. That's radical. Jesus says a lot of radical things in the Sermon on the Mount, and this is one of them. You see, it seems like in an impoverished culture, worrying about food and clothes was a perfectly legitimate thing to do. If you were a mother or a father living in rural Palestine, trying to provide for like seven hungry kids on the salary of a day laborer, I'm not necessarily going to fault you if you're a little anxious about it. But Jesus says, don't be, don't be. He says it three times. Do not worry. Do not worry. Do not worry. Now, on what basis does Jesus tell this poor Jewish mother trying to feed her children not to worry? Well, he tells her not to worry on the basis of worry itself. You see, worry as an activity is problematic. It is one of our favorite activities, of course. A recent uh, study in Great Britain revealed that the average person, I don't know how they calculated this, but researchers have their ways, the average person uh, spends one hour and 50 minutes a day fretting over things. Anxiety 
It's one of our go-to pastimes. We are very good at anxiety. We are very good at inventing things to be anxious over. We are very good at inventing new ways to be anxious over, new things that we've invented things to be anxious over. And the world we live in is very good at creating anxiety and worry too. Marketers are good at making us anxious about what our lives will be like if we don't buy their product right now. Politicians are good at scaring us into voting for them, telling us that the other guy will leave us hopeless and oppressed. The media is good at turning everything into a catastrophe so that we stare at our screens anxious. We are expert warriors. But anxiety is one of the silliest ways we can spend our time. And according to Jesus, anxiety is silly for three reasons. For starters, worry is unproductive. As Jesus asks, can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Just so we're all on the same page here. What's the answer to that question? That would be no. Worrying does nothing for the quality or length of our lives. If anything, it impedes both. Anxiety actually produces uh, bodily stress, and stress chips away at a person's lifespan and peace of mind. And it's not like our anxiety is helpful in terms of preparing us for life's eventualities either. As Michelle de Montaigne said, my life has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of which has never happened. Another study from a few years ago revealed that 85% of what people worried about never took place. In the case of the 15% of people to whom what they worried about did happen, 79% of those people admitted that they actually handled it better than they thought they would. Oh, oh look at that. I handled that catastrophe. Worry is unproductive. It, it, it does nothing to prepare you for situations that likely won't ever happen or situations that you will likely be able to handle. I remember a few years ago, for example, my wife, uh, Michelle, called me, uh, and she had her panicked voice. She said, uh, Matt, I just heard something terrible. I said, oh, my gosh, what terrible thing did you hear? And uh, she said, I just heard a news report. Just heard a news report that NASA says there's an asteroid that, that might hit the Earth, that might hit the Earth in, like, 2032. <laughs> and I was not surprised by this, as NASA is always spotting asteroids that might hit the Earth. But Michelle, I like, couldn't get that out of her mind, and she called me to, to tell me about this asteroid, and then she asked me this question. She asked me, Matt, what are we going to do? <laughs> and I started laughing, which is hypocritical because I worry about things too. And it's also insensitive because a lot of people really struggle with anxiety. But nonetheless, I started laughing. <laughs> and I said, Michelle, if an asteroid hits the Earth, there is nothing to do. <laughs> Worrying about the asteroid is not going to help us. And maybe NASA is working on a plan to save us, and maybe it involves Ben Affleck and Aerosmith. <laughs> and a group of hardened oil rig drillers. But we are not on that crew. And there's nothing to do. So do not worry. Worry is unproductive. It accomplishes nothing. It doesn't add a day to our lives. In fact, it subtracts them. Worry is unproductive. Also, Jesus says, worry is uninformed. As he goes on in verse 26. 
Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store, store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how, much, how will he not much more clothe you? Worry is uninformed. How so? Because worry forgets that we live in a universe in which we matter to God, who is not just God, but our Father, not just our Father, but our Abba, our Daddy. We live in a world in which birds can know that they will have food, and flowers do not have to think about what clothes they will put on in the morning. And are we not much more valuable than birds or flowers? We are the crown jewel of all creation. We're the father's very own children. We're the apple of his eye. Why would we worry? I mean, how would you react? How would you react if your child came up to you and, and, and told you, mom or dad, I'm, I'm nervous. I'm, I'm nervous that like we're going to run out of food. That we're not going to have anything to eat. I'm, I'm nervous. I'm anxious that, you know, we might have any place to live. Might not have any clothes to wear. What would you say? What would you say? You'd say, child, that will not happen to you. You understand me? That will not happen to you. That's what you would say. You might not even be able to back it up. But that's what you'd say. How much more would your Father in heaven not only say it, but mean it. Worry is uninformed. It forgets the power and the love and the care of God. Now, does that mean that God will never let any of his children suffer or starve? Uh, critics of Jesus easily point out that sparrows sometimes die <laughs> and flowers burn up. I remember thinking about this very passage uh, many years ago. I was out on a walk to de-stress, deal with the anxiety that had burdened up in my own heart. And I was thinking about this very passage uh, as I was just feeling anxious about the future and my family. And I was walking along thinking about Jesus' words about flowers and, and birds. And I strolled by a huge dead crow. Right there, it had been electrocuted in the power lines, just falling right down there. It was huge and dead. And its legs were like sticking up. And its beak was like open, and its tongue was hanging out. <clears throat> dead crow. And the image of this dead bird did not help what I thought Jesus was trying to teach me in the moment. Like, God, I wanna, I wanna trust you that you're gonna take care of me as you take care of the birds, but dead crow? Is this me? A few years. The heavens were silent. <laughs> and, and, and true enough, there, there are Christian people who die of starvation. Around the world, there are children living naked in third world nations. Uh, uh, how, how are, are poor naked children around the world supposed to hear Jesus' words? 
Fair question. Author Scott McKnight uh, takes up that very question in his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, McKnight points out that Jesus is not saying, Jesus is not saying that people will have everything they need on earth forever. Jesus is not saying that there is no starvation or poverty in the world. In fact, Jesus knows that there is, and it is our responsibility to go share God's provision with those who do not have enough to eat or wear. But what Jesus is really talking about here isn't poverty. It's anxiety. He's talking about the pointlessness of anxiety especially when you consider the power and the love of God. I mean, even as we suffer here on earth, which we will, we can still trust in the goodness of our Father who sees what we need and will provide it for us, if not on this earth, and certainly in the next one. You see, in our Father's universe, whoever might die of starvation or exposure will not be hungry or naked forever. Take the very Son of God himself. He died naked and thirsty. You tell me, is he naked and thirsty now? Worries uninformed like this. It, it fails to consider the love and the care of God, who, who is more than a God, who, who is our Father, our, our Abba, who insists to us, Child, I will not let you starve. Worry is unproductive. Worry is uninformed. And thirdly, worry is unbecoming. As Jesus says in verse 31, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we wear? The pagans run after all these things. Your heavenly father knows that you need them. The pagans. Pagans were Roman non-Jews or Gentiles. Uh, we know from the literature of the day that Gentiles actually had very high levels of anxiety. Uh, one historian puts it this way. People, and above all, the religious people of the Hellenistic age, they were tormented by anxiety. People are tormented by anxiety, historians have noted. Why? Because people believed back then that fate and luck were in control of the cosmos. So as the wheel of time turned, they did not know what might happen next. As a character Petronius's play Satyricon says, what comes next you never know. Lady Luck runs the show. So with this level of unpredictability, people lived in constant anxiety about what might come next and whether or not they were truly prepared for it. We live in similar circumstances, constantly fretting about what might happen next. I mean, COVID proved that we do not know what will happen. And we still don't. I mean, elections are happening Tuesday. Oh my gosh. What riots or electoral disputes well, we have to look forward to. With climate change, what might come next? With war in Europe, our artificial intelligence, the breakdown of traditional morality, the rising cost of everything, what might come next? These are not bad questions. But they are questions that pagans fret about. Not God's children. We know what comes next, right? We know what comes next. Jesus comes next. 
The Holy Spirit comes next. The providence of God comes next, as it has come before and as it has come alongside. Jesus comes next. And Jesus is with us no matter what might happen. I tell this to people who come into my office to talk all the time. People come in to talk all the time. Most of the conversations that I have with people are some version of this conversation. What's going to happen to me? Most of the time, those are the conversations. What's going to happen to me? And I get it. I understand the question. I have lied awake many nights. What's going to happen to me? But the longer you live, and this is what I tell people when they come in, the longer you live, the closer you come to a, 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 a true and genuine appreciation of this truth, you're going to be okay. That's what I tell people. You're going to be okay. In Christ, you're going to be okay. Do you know why you're going to be okay? Because the Holy Spirit of God is living inside of you. The Holy Spirit of God that raised a man from the dead is living inside of you. And he's going to help you overcome whatever it is that you're so terrified of, which with Jesus, you'll be able to handle pretty well. You're going to be okay. The world doesn't have that confidence. They really don't. Pagans should be worried. They don't know God as a father like you and I do. Don't look like them in your worry and fear, Jesus says. It's just unbecoming. Look like the child of God that you are, held firmly and securely in the hands of your heavenly father who will never let you go. So don't worry, Jesus says. Worry is unproductive, uninformed, unbecoming. Now, to repeat, that doesn't mean that nothing bad will ever happen to you. It just means that worrying isn't going to help. Nor does it mean that you shouldn't work hard to take care of yourself and prepare for the future. When Jesus says, do not worry, he's not saying, do not work. In fact, hard workers can actually put themselves in a better position to worry less because they're more prepared for what might happen. Not to get too practical here, but this is one of the reasons everybody should have a savings account. So that you have less reason to worry about what might happen to you. My suspicion in this sermon, though, when it comes to worry, is that I haven't told you anything you disagree with. And I haven't told you anything you don't already know. I mean, you know worry is bad. You know that Jesus tells you not to do it. In fact, one of my concerns in preaching this sermon is that I have actually given you more to worry about. In addition to providing for your family and avoiding sin and keeping your boss happy and preparing for asteroids, I've now made you anxious about how anxious you are. I've made you worried about how much you worry and how blatantly you're disobeying Jesus. Stop. <laughs> Great, Pastor Matt. Thanks for compounding my problem. Now I have to worry about my disobedience. But this just leads to what Jesus' real concern is in this passage. He, he doesn't just want to point out how bad worry is. He wants, us to help, he wants to help us not do it. So how do we do that? How do we not worry? What do we do to get rid of the anxiety that impedes our peace, shortens our lifespan, and seriously undermines our witness as beloved children of God? What do we do? Well, what I love about Jesus is that he tells you what to do. Buried in the passage, he tells you what to do. Here's what Jesus tells us to do. He tells us to seek and to see. Seek 
and to see. First, seek. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. All these things will be given to you as well. So in contrast to running after, Jesus says that running after food and clothing as the pagans do, Jesus says we should seek first, run after God's kingdom and his righteousness. God's kingdom is the state in which our lives are fully submitted to him. That's the kingdom in which our lives are fully submitted to the Lord. And God's righteousness is his holy will expressed in the decisions that we make daily to obey him with our minds, with our bodies, with our actions. Instead of running after food and drink and clothing, we need to run after the kingdom and righteousness as our first priorities. Jesus promises that as we do this, all these things will be given to you as well. Fly just got in my mouth. (laughs) All these things, including flies. In other words, if you pursue righteousness, God will give it to you and he will clothe and feed you. Pursue righteousness, God will give it to you, and he will take care of you in other ways as well. But if you run after food and clothes, you might get them, and you won't get righteousness. Basically, if you live for Jesus, Jesus will take care of your life. So how do you live for Jesus? How do you seek first his righteousness? You know, you really do. You obey his word, you study it, you learn about it, you obey it, you talk to him all the time. You get up every Sunday morning, no matter how late you stayed out Saturday night or how cold it is, you come worship him. You live lives of service and kindness and humility. You repent of your sin, you tell God you're sorry, you tell other people you're sorry too, you forgive other people. You do all this and everything else. And as you do, everything changes. When you see Christ first, you realize you have everything you need and the things you thought you need, you didn't actually need. And you learn to trust that God will take care of you in both this life and in the next. When you make Christ your first priority, everything falls to a very distant second. That's the first thing to do to worry less, is to seek God more. Put everything in perspective. What's the other thing that Jesus tells us to do? It's to see. Seek and see. Use your eyes to look at the world and notice how God cares for it. What does Jesus say? Look at the birds of the air. See how the flowers of the field grow. I've always actually liked these verses because Jesus is is giving us something very specific to do. I like specific things to do. Okay, I can go do that. And something important to do, uh, given our constant busyness and distractedness. He's telling us to slow down, smell the roses, take a moment, telling us to take a day off, go bird watching in the woods. God has a lot to teach us in the natural world all around us. We learned that the birds and the flowers get along pretty well without being nervous or anxious as we are. I mean, have you ever gone out for a walk or spent some time in a garden and come back feeling less confident about your place in the world. In fact, a lot of psychologists think that the rising level of anxiety among humans today 
is a result of being surrounded by modernity and having been cut off from the natural world, which has always been our teacher. The birds have always been our teachers. But we're cutting ourselves off from the natural world, which is, in a true biblical sense, our home. Jesus is giving us an invitation here. He's telling us to look around, see his power, his generosity, his goodness. Learn what we need. Learn freedom from the eagles. Repentance from the stork. But in order to do that, we've got to stop. We've got to take a moment. We've got to see. Before we wrap up this morning, I want to show you two pictures to invite you to do this, to see. Uh, the first one is one of the most famous paintings of the Sermon on, Mount, uh, Sermon on the Mount ever done. The painting was done by a Danish painter named uh, Karl Bloch in the late 1800s. Uh, the picture captures Jesus sitting on a small mountainside, teaching Sermon on the Mount with everybody else responding in different ways. But there, there is a a really small detail in the painting that a lot of people miss because they don't look closely enough. Down here in the very bottom left-hand corner of the painting is a picture of a child who is maybe not listening to the sermon as intently as he should be because he has found a butterfly sitting on the head of somebody in the crowd. And he's reaching out to touch it. Now, why? What is Karl Bloch thinking, painting a picture of a child in a painting getting ready to touch a butterfly during Jesus' preaching on the Sermon on the Mount? He, he never said anything. He, he refused to sort of answer the question. So we're left to wonder. But every time I look at this picture, I'm immediately drawn to that image of this child reaching out to touch a butterfly. It's not a bird, to be sure. It's not a flower. But it's a little bit of creation that's just captured him. And I like to imagine that this is the moment in the painting, that this painting, this moment in the painting takes place at the exact moment in the sermon when Jesus challenges his listeners to look at the birds, look at the flowers, look at the butterflies, the beauty of everything that surrounds us so that we may trust that the Father who created us and sustains all this beauty also created us. And as the crown jewels of all creation is the most beautiful of all the butterflies, our Father will sustain us as well. But to learn that, we got to see it. we got to see it. got to see it in birds. got to see it in flowers. got to see it in butterflies. got to see it in paintings. got to stop and see it. It's amazing what you can see if you stop and see. Here's the other picture I want to show you. It's a photograph, a little bit more dramatic. Uh, if you've been over to my house, you know what this is. This is the memorial tree that we planted in memorial of our son Mitchell's death three years ago, 19 years old. Used his ashes to plant the tree. It's uh, scarlet dogwood. We planted it outside his uh, bedroom window, and I converted his bedroom into an office and guitar room. And after we planted the tree, I went out and bought a couple bird feeders, a hummingbird feeder, 
and a big bird feeder over here. Uh, it's uh, top of the line, state of the art, Squirrel Buster 2.0. <laughs> supposed to keep all the squirrels out. Honestly, I'm unimpressed. I'm waiting for the Squirrel Buster 3.0 because those squirrels are pretty wily. It, it, it took the birds, honestly, it took the birds a few days to find the bird feeders once I put them up. But they found them. And now birds from all over the neighborhood, who knows, all over North America, know that they can come rest in the tree and eat from the feeder. And you, you can even actually see a little, little female cardinal there. This was my best, most literal attempt to obey Jesus after seven years of hell. I just look at the birds. This is like the one thing I knew I could do. Plant a tree, put up bird feeder, look at the birds, see the flowers. You see, when you, when you don't know what's going to happen, and none of us do, when you don't know what might happen to you or your family or your loved ones, you worry, you panic, you give in to fear. We all know, we've all seen this in our own lives. The fears are very real. At no point does Jesus guarantee a happy, healthy life on earth. In fact, quite the opposite. Death comes for everyone, including the very Son of God. There's plenty to be afraid of to make us anxious. Illness, war, conflict, inflation, asteroids, diseases. But this is what makes Jesus' teaching so radical. In the midst of a world where we're not sure what might happen to us, in a world in which terrible things really do take place, we can still trust. We can still trust that God is good. It's hard to believe, but we can still trust that God is good. But in order to get to that level of trust, in order to actually believe that, you got to stop. You got to sit at the window. You got to look. You got to see the flowers. You gotta see the butterflies. You gotta see the birds. I'm actually just gonna give you a minute to do that. <laughs> 